great song. <clears throat> well, we are back from our week at Bible camp. We were up at YBC all last week, uh, Yosemite Bible camp, and uh, we're a bit wayworn, mosquito bitten, a bit more tan, but uh, it's good to be back, good to be home. And if you will, grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We will be reading verses 7 through 14. As you are turning there, let me just say to our guests, we are glad you're here. We hope you will stick around at the services and let us get to know you and you get to know us just a bit better. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let us pray. O God, you are our light. You are the one who illuminates, and we need illumination this morning. Shine the light of your word into our minds so that we can better see you, that we may better see the way things are, and that we ourselves would be light, reflecting the glory of your brilliance. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. John read for us earlier from Isaiah 60. I actually want to start there this morning. We're going to land in Ephesians 5 after a bit. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. I believe verse 1 of Isaiah 60 is the inspiration for what we read in Ephesians 5.14. I believe Ephesians 5.14 is an early Christian hymn. Uh, And Isaiah 60 is the inspiration for that hymn. And so to understand what Paul is saying there in uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe it's good to go through what is written here by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 60. But as I mentioned in Bible class this morning, Context is king, and the context for Isaiah chapter 60 is Isaiah chapter 59, because 59 comes before 60, right? And so Isaiah 59 is actually a judgment prophecy. It prophesies judgment because of sin. If you look at verse 2 of Isaiah 59, this is a very well-known verse. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. There, you are separated from God because of sin. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. That is, he doesn't hear prayers because sin is, has gotten in the way. It has broken fellowship between a person and God. So sin, it separates, but also sin does its work and it bleeds out into other areas of life. One 
impact that sin has upon not just the individual but upon society at large is it impacts justice. Look at chapter 59 and verse 9. Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, but behold, darkness. And for brightness, but behold, we walk in gloom. There's no justice. It's far from us. In fact, it goes on in verse 14. It says, justice is turned back. And righteousness stands afar. Now, so there's, there's no justice in Israel at this time. And, and why is it that there's no justice? In fact, all that they have is injustice that's taking place. Well, the rest of verse 14 explains. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Verse 15, truth is lacking. Your translation may say truth is missing. Truth is M-I-A. There's no truth. And when there's no truth, there's no foundation for justice, hence no justice. Without truth, there can be no justice. Do I need to make the, draw the, the parallels that exist between our present situation in our country and what was going on back then? The more things change, the more they the same. We are a culture, a society, which is rapidly running from the truth, dismissing the truth. Truth is missing. It is stumbling in the public square. And as a result, while we chase after so-called social justice, it really lacks any teeth to it. It's, it's not true biblical justice. It may be justice so-called, but truth is missing. And when truth is missing, there can be no justice. All of this is, well, we could summarize it under darkness. We walk in gloom, the text says. They're stumbling about in the darkness, which brings us to chapter 60 and verse 1. Because Isaiah 60 is a new morning. From the darkness of night comes this new mor morning. Arise, shine. Why? For your light has come. It's a very specific thing. Your light has come. The glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. For behold, Darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. Everything we've been talking about, all that darkness of sin and injustice and no truth. But Yahweh will arise upon you, that is, upon his people. His glory will be seen among you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Notice, this has international impact. And it has, it has impact upon those uh, social structures in those other societies, those other nations. Mm. It is the light of God's word, the light of even his glory, whereby the nations shall walk, even God's own people. So you have a couple things going on here. Number one, you have the contrast between light and darkness. There's light, there's darkness. The nations, they're under this thick darkness. But God's people are walking according to his light which has an impact, by the way, which we'll see more of that in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul will talk about exposing the unfruitful works of darkness. Mm. But also you have a, a parallel that exists here between light and the glory of Yahweh. The, the glory of God is his brilliant majesty and, and the brilliance of his honor. And indeed, without the glory of Yahweh, there can be no light. 
only Yahweh, the one true and only God, only he can enlighten you. Everything else is darkness. Where do we see the light of God? Well, we could talk about the light of nature. Nature itself speaks a word whereby we're supposed to look at the created order around us and we're supposed to conclude there is a God. He is incredibly powerful and uh, he is, uh, is, 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 he exists. And, and this is all Romans chapter 1, by the way. So there is the light of creation itself, what uh, has historically been called the general revelation that everybody has access to. Where you're supposed to look around and, oh, there is this God, and he exists, and uh, he is incredibly powerful. But what do we do with that? Well, humans, in their, the darkness of their futile thinking and the darkness of their mind and the hardness of their heart, they take that truth and they suppress it in unrighteousness. Romans 1 also tells us that. Well, we could also talk about the light of God's word. In the Old Testament, we have his law. In the New Testament, we have the gospel. And in fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of that law through the gospel. And, and so we have the revelation of God through his word. His word itself is light. It's truth. Jesus himself says, your word, talking to God, the Father, your word is truth. But again, what do people do with that? twist it they'll distort it they'll make uh, arguments like well you know uh, i love jesus but who, who's this moses guy who, who's paul i just just give me jesus that's all i really want we'll circle back to that in a moment or they'll say things like well you know yeah, jesus he, he never really talked about this particular subject and so therefore indirectly or implicitly he's somehow giving approval to it again we'll circle back to that in a few minutes as well. See, what people do with God's truth is they'll do the same thing they do with general revelation. With special revelation, which is, which is scripture, they will also suppress that truth in unrighteousness as well. We can talk about the, the, the light of grace. And indeed, we need the grace of God if we would even be saved. Uh, that, uh, that light of God's grace, that is what uh, arises upon us and shines upon us through Christ. We can talk about the light of Christ. Christ himself is the light of the world. And, and that's instructive for us because Jesus calls us to be the light of the world as well, right? In Matthew chapter 5. But the difference between Christ as the light of the world and us humans as the light of the world is the difference like between the sun and the moon. The sun has light in itself. It is inherently light by its nature. The moon is just a rock. It has no light in itself. It reflects the light of the sun. That's what we see when it's the full moon or the half moon or the crescent moon, right? That light is a reflection of the sun. And that's what we're supposed to do is we reflect the light of Christ. But, of course, all light comes from God himself. God is light. And uh, he is the source of light. Christ is the source of light as well. And so all this, we talk about, again, God, light has come. Your light has come. Well, if there's so much light, why is it that people remain in darkness? And for that, well, let's listen to what Jesus himself says in John chapter 3. We know John chapter 3, verse 16, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, yeah? Well, we keep reading, and we see verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already 
You already are under the judgment of God if you do not believe in the Son because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19, ready? Why do the people remain in darkness? This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That is, uh, God the Son, when he took on flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. That's the historical revelation of God in human history. The light's come. But people loved the darkness rather than light. People love darkness rather than light. This is why people remain in darkness. They love darkness. They have distorted affections because of what sin has done to us. Because of the futility of our thinking and the darkness of our understanding and the hardness of our heart, we have wrong affections. To love darkness is a wrong affection, by the way. That's a distorted affection. That's a misplaced affection. And yet people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The problem is not a problem of information. It is not that people don't have enough information. If we could just get more information to them, then they'll make the right decision. They have an abundance of information. They have a whole created order of information. And they have the revelation of God's word, which is very specific. And, and it's not an information problem. Their works were evil. It is a moral problem. That's what it comes down to. People love darkness. Their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Are you hearing this? This is the starting point for any conversation about the nature of humanity. By nature we are children of wrath, Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 2. We love darkness. We uh, hate the light and we refuse to love the truth. They hate light and, and, and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. And that work of exposure well, that's what Paul is going to talk about when we get to Ephesians chapter 5. But we need to see here, your light has come. Speaking to the people of God this morning, your light has come. And the only reason that, uh, what is the difference between a person who, has, who, who loves light, uh, who uh, loves the truth, and who, uh, loves, uh, and, and who hates darkness? The difference between us and anyone else. It's not because we are smarter or more spiritual or because we had more spiritual advantages. The only difference is a five-letter word called grace. That's it. It is only because of the grace of God that we hate darkness and love the truth and love the light. So your light has come. So what do we do? And that brings us to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we read there in verse 8, this is written to children of light. This is written to those who were at, you were once darkness. I, I hope you understand that. There was a time when you were darkness, brothers and sisters. And, and you were just like the rest of humanity. Dead in your sins. Dead in your trespasses. Separated from God because of sin. And all those things that Jesus said were true about you. You loved darkness. Your works were evil. They were unfruitful. And you hated the light. But out of the greatness of God's love. 
and out of the immeasurable riches of his grace, God made you alive in Christ Jesus. Your light has come. And now we are children of light. Walk as children of light. Behave like it. Live like it. And what does that look like? Well, he, he talks here in verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part. Your, your translation may say, have no fellowship. That's good. Because that's, that's literally what it says there. You are not to fellowship the unfruitful works of darkness. Notice that. The works of darkness. We have an accounting of the fruit of light back in verse 9. It is found in all that is good, right, and true. Which would mean then that the works of darkness are composed of the, the opposite of that. Which would be all things that are bad or evil. The works of darkness are those things that are wrong instead of that, those things that are right. They, the, the works of darkness are all those things which are false instead of true. And what's worse is they are unfruitful. That is, they, there's no fruit in them. And in fact, the only thing they can produce within an individual are things like, oh, I don't know, guilt, fear, shame, corruption, death. So as children of light, have no, take no part, have no fellowship in any of those things. Those are not things that characterize the people of God, the children of he who is light. And so, again, this is written to those children of light, those who love light, who love the truth, and, and who hate darkness. And so what do we do? Uh, the rest of verse 11, but instead expose them. What's the them there? Those unfruitful works of darkness. And we, that's always been true for the church, that we have our work cut out for us. The whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Very passive, just, again, loves it and yet we are called to expose the darkness for what it is and that's because verse 14 awake O sleeper arise from the dead Christ will shine on you that's our message and again it's an early Christian hymn I believe Isaiah 60 is the inspiration for it some some early Christian inspired of the Holy Spirit it would seem right maybe even Paul himself this is something that the early Christians sang in their worship Awake, O sleeper. And indeed, we were once asleep. This is a picture of those who are away from God. We were slumbering in our sin. No more. Awake. Arise from the dead. Again, another picture of where we were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. No longer. And it's not something we did to ourselves. We didn't make ourselves alive in Christ Jesus. God raised us from the dead. God worked a work. And by his spirit who gives life, he brought new spiritual life to us. Christ will shine on you, light now, right? Here's that, we were, we were in darkness, but now your light has come. Your light has come. And the light of Christ is shining where darkness once was. So as children of light and as those who have uh, been awakened by the grace of God and have been raised from spiritual death by the Spirit of God. And, and those who have the light of Christ shining in us, I mean, we could even talk about the, the, there seems to be, at least uh, indirectly, a, a Trinitarian aspect to this, right? That the Father is the one who is 
awakened his children from the slumber and their slumber and sin. And the Spirit is the one who has given new life where there was once spiritual death. And it is Christ who is the light who is shining upon us who were once in darkness. Expose the unfruitful works of darkness. The idea here of exposure is you convict through action, through words. And it is a painful thing. It can be a traumatic thing, but it is a necessary thing. C.S. Lewis says Christianity is a fighting religion, and not fighting like in bullets and bombs and all that. But it's a, it's a battle for the mind. That, that's where this takes place, to bring every thought captive to Christ, to obey Christ, Paul talks about elsewhere. And, and the instruments of our warfare are not fleshly, they're spiritual. It's a spiritual war that's going on. And so it is necessary that we shine in the midst of darkness, which brings me back to what we mentioned earlier about some of the, the arguments that, that we'll hear from those who are in darkness that come from the futility of their thinking. The things like, well, I love Jesus, but uh, you know, Moses, who needs Moses? And, and who is this Paul guy? And by the way, in case you think, nobody thinks that way. Just this last week, I sat across the table from a mother whose daughter believes just that. And through tears is telling me how her daughter will talk about, oh, gee, all I need is Jesus. I don't need Moses. I don't need Paul. This, this, is, this is a relevant thing. How do we expose an argument like that? Well, one, I think you start with the fact that Jesus affirms Moses. He, he, he didn't, he says himself, Jesus says, I didn't come to uh, abolish the law or destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. And then he gives exposition of the law. You've heard it said, do not murder. Let me give you a proper ex ex exposition of this. Let me, let me clarify this for you, that even if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of that. That's a starting point to say, actually, Jesus, good Jewish rabbi that he was in the first century, affirms Moses and reaffirms it. And if it's good enough for Jesus, I think it's good enough for any of us. And, and as far as Paul is concerned, uh, he had an appearance by the resurrected Christ. And he is at pains at times to affirm that. Uh, so I, he seems like a, a valid source of information, if you will. But then it's that other one that's a bit more slick. And I've talked about this on the Monday Night Broadcast. It was a couple weeks ago. This argument that well, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't talk about this particular subject, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And so therefore, what? He gives tacit approval of it? Uh, let me give you kind of a silly example of this, and then, uh, and then I think we can tamp down on this a bit further. Um, anyone in here like ketchup on hot dogs? Anathema, right? <laughs> uh, ketchup on hot dogs. Jesus never said anything about ketchup on hot dogs. And, and so, therefore, it must be right, right? I uh, Personally, I think, no, we, we shouldn't do that. We should not put ketchup on hot dogs. Thus it has been said and thus it is declared, right? Well, but here's the thing. 
let's contextualize the teaching of Christ in the first place. He's a first century Jewish rabbi who affirms Moses and the law. Does, does the law say anything about, uh, well, let's say pork hot dogs, right? Because sometimes they're made with pig, right? Uh-oh, it's not kosher, right? We shouldn't even be eating hot dogs, right? But wait a minute. Um, Mark chapter 7, there's that, that argument, well, discussion, debate between Jesus and the religious leaders. And, and afterward, he has this conversation about, you know, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of a person that defiles them. And, and there's a parenthetical statement here in verse 19. Thus he declared all foods clean. Oh, so I guess we can't eat those pork hot dogs, right? With ketchup, yeah. I'm in the wrong here, yes? I need to submit myself to the word and revelation of God, yeah? Well, I'll call you brother then, yeah? That's what, that's what it ought to be, right? But often it's not. And those arguments, the politicians will do it in order to score political points with their particular base. Jesus never, let me quote for you everything Jesus said about this particular subject. As if somehow this wins the debate, right? It's an argument from silence in the first place. But second of all, actually, Jesus does touch on all those things that that person is thinking about. And often it's connected to... Uh, It's connected to a proper definition of marriage, shall we say. Yeah? That Jesus affirms the original created order, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that is the proper place for sexual expression and the gratification of those particular desires. So in the one place, he's made positive instruction about that particular thing. Yes? He has talked about... Uh, the original created order and what God desires for his creatures in terms of the fulfillment of those uh, good and holy desires that he's given them. Therefore, anything outside of that would, by definition, be opposed to what God would have us to do based on the positive instruction of Christ. Well, yeah, but he never condemns it. He never, he never says uh, that, you know, not to do other things. And, all right, let's go ahead and drop the veil here. What we're talking specifically about, what was being specifically addressed by a, a, a California state representative was same-sex marriage and homosexual relationships. He never talked about that. Never condemned it, I guess. Even though, we, again, we have the positive instruction. Well, actually, if, uh, hopefully you're still there in Mark 7. If you just keep reading, uh, in verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, and you need to understand the heart here, this must be a heart of darkness. Based on what Jesus is going to reveal here. These are all sins. This must be a hard heart of stone. A, a heart that has refused truth. That rejects God and rejects, I'm not living according to what you say. Because he goes on, he says, for out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, your translation may say fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Sexual immorality or fornication, as it's mentioned there, is actually, in, in our English translations, it's usually translated in the singular. It's actually in the plural in the original. 
fornications, sexual immoralities. And if we properly understand and define what fornication is, that would be all expressions of uh, and, and gratifications of sexual desires outside of marriage as defined by God between a man and a woman, which would include all heterosexual sexual expressions outside of the bonds of marriage. And it would also include all uh, homosexual relationships, even those of so-called same-sex marriage. It would include things like uh, yeah, bisexuality and, uh, well, it, I think it captures all of the acronyms, the L and the G and the D, and you just start going through and it's, it addresses all of those. All fornications, all sexual immorality. Well, so I guess Jesus really did address those, which means that that argument is valid. We've just exposed it for a work of darkness and how unfruitful it really is to the discussion. We need this church. Your light has come and the call of scripture, not just for me as the preacher or for the elders as shepherds, every member is involved in the necessary work of exposing the works of darkness. It's not just for super Christians. Granted, my role, my calling in life is to equip the body. Consider yourself equipped at least in terms of this argument. But there are a number of different arguments that I, I'm running short on time here, that, that we need to be equipped with because we do live in, the, in a world where Satan, he is very slick in the arguments that he will present to the darkened mind. And the darkened mind will swallow it hook, line, and sinker. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to be prepared. We need to be equipped to shine in the darkness. One more thing. Not if, but when you shine in the midst of darkness, there will be a reaction. And it will be either a negative one or a positive one. The negative will, uh, response will be from those who remain in their darkness, who love their darkness. They, there will be a reaction because they love the darkness. But the positive will be when you shine light on darkness. We are the means whereby God powerfully works in this world to shine the light of the gospel. And the light is, sh is shined, and, and, and by the grace of God, a person is awakened from sleep, and they, they, God grants new spiritual life, and Christ is shining in their hearts. But then... Lord willing, and by God's grace, they will submit themselves to the teaching of Scripture. They will believe the truth of God's Word, and they will be obedient to Christ as Lord. Let's pray about this. Righteous Father, you tell us that the righteous are bold as lions. Embolden us, Father, even with the boldness that Christ had during his earthly ministry. May we with boldness shine the light of the gospel in the midst of darkness. May you, by your grace, grant light 
for those that we come into conversation with. May they repent of darkness. May they believe the gospel. May they be obedient to Christ in all things. Father, not only a spirit of boldness, but also of gentleness and respect. Give us, Father. Help us to see that indeed you have powerfully given us everything we need for life and godliness. That we lack nothing. And may we, by the Spirit, bring not only our minds, but other minds captive to you. And every thought obedient to Christ. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.